Welcome to the Green Edge Podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly update for the week ending 24th of March 2023. On the Green Edge, we normally make one post each week on Thursday afternoons. But on Tuesday of this week, we made an additional post to comment on Chancellor of the Exchequer Jeremy Hunt's spring budget. For subscribers to The Green Edge, you won't have received this additional post as an email because we don't want to flood your inboxes too much, but you can find the post on the Green Edge weblog at greenedge.substack.com. And Michael, while the spring budget had plenty of stuff aimed at growth, energy security and the four E's of enterprise, employment, education and everywhere, it did seem to be a bit light on the net zero front. It was weekly green. But I suppose we should hang judgment until we see the revised net zero strategy for the UK and also the government's response to the Skidmore Review, Mission Zero, because they might rebalance it. Um, It'll be nice to see more money flowing into the green industries. The piece that was flying slightly beneath the radar in the budget was the investment zones, because one of the five sectors of the investment zones and the university clusters were the green industries. So there might be other aspects coming through. The difficulty is it'd be nice if the government pulled all this together to show what they're actually doing across the whole green economy in support of net zero and growth. Okay, well, let's move to our regular Thursday post, which looks at some significant things going on in Europe. In particular, a new proposal from the EU for a net zero industry act. Michael, can you talk us through that one? Yes, our interest in this obviously is the skills and workforce component, which is one of the seven pillars. And this act is there to match or at least show the direction of matching what is going on in the United States with the Inflation Reduction Act that was brought in last year. Now, in terms of the seven pillars, say a key one is around enhancing skills and also job quality. But also that is all pivoted around a series of core technologies, which they have focused on around renewables. It is interesting in that list of strategic industries, though, that nuclear does not feature, which is quite a significant difference. It features elsewhere in the document, but not on that core list. Now, on the skills front, the intention is to set up a series of net zero industry academies, one for each of these core technologies, and model it on what is already occurring around the battery industry, both battery storage and for EVs and battery manufacturing, where the 250 leading battery manufacturers across Europe have come together to devise the training programs and what might be of interest in the UK are a series of what we might call national occupational standards, where they've laid down the competences for 26 or 27 occupations. So I think there's some really rich material there. They've got a good, robust methodology around forecasting and keeping things up to date and aligned to the future. And I think there's something we could actually lift and use very quickly in other industries. Now, in the post, we mentioned a joint initiative between Germany and India called the Surya Matra Skill Development Programme, the SSDP. How does that work? Yes, this is a deal in the cooking between the German Solar Industry Association and the Indian Skill Council for Green Jobs. And the whole idea is to train up a series of solar PV 
individuals, largely electricians, over a three-month program, and we're talking about potentially 50 to 60,000 people then moving from India into Germany, but to particularly to focus on the manufacturing of solar PV, which is interesting where migration then is coming to actually meet our skills requirement here. And this is a joint deal, joint initiative, and is not seen as actually damaging what is already occurring in India because I would have thought the Indian government sees this as a return flow of skilled people who will bring back even further talents and skills to apply in their own sectors back home. We need something like that in the UK, don't we? If you look at the rates of investment, be it in brown industries to go through net zero, we have a series of eight airports in the UK talking about expanding which will mean major capital programs. And we can go through the list on renewable for wind farms. The answer is yes, we need to expand it. If we look at the Migration Advisory Committee and the number of work permits being granted, they are significant in number. And I can only see that rising to meet our requirements for skilled labour across the UK. But we need to do that in a balanced way. So the uh, host country gives something back to the sending country, as it were. And a reminder that you can find both of this week's posts on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google and Amazon. Now, we've had a few interesting Green Edge conversations over the past week or so that we'll tell you about in future posts and podcasts. And one conversation we had was with Sarah Strachan of Anglia Ruskin University. Now, Sarah runs a creative communication practice at ARU, which she describes as being at the intersection of art, health, education and the environment, all approached through the lens of sustainability. And Sarah and the team are doing some good work up there at ARU, Michael. It is. It's a lovely combination of a university helping its local community walk through some difficult ground and the difficult ground partly pandemic how to respond to that but also how to walk into and take the opportunity of net zero and this links also with the generation of a new site in peterborough for the anglo-ruskin university where it'll have a new campus and we were talking to sarah around her work on green skills and the vital importance to have clarity about exactly what we're talking about when we talk about green skills and green jobs and not conflating the two. So let's play a soundbite from our chat with Sarah. And here we're asking about how she'd navigated through the green skills and occupational landscape in her research. Classification is a real issue. And we had the same feeling about employers or also thinking about sectors. People refer to the green sector and the green sector, you know, again, if we use ILO definitions, I had the sort of Venn diagram of environmental goods and services and then those that are aligned to providing more environmental awareness or support for the environmental sector. But there's this cross section in the middle, which is the decent jobs bit. And we were trying in this research that we did in Cambridgeshire, trying not to get drawn into this green skills are only in the green sector. And we felt that that was also from from literature reviews and, and talking to people was also an issue, assuming that green skills are only required 
in those businesses and those sectors. In our research, the findings were that there was a real problem with disenfranchising or demotivating sectors who are really important to the transition, but that don't regard themselves as green, essentially. So we borrowed (laughs) the eco-transformation matrix of industries as a basis to ensure that our participants in the research were from across all sectors. I don't know if you've come across that, but it's this idea that certain sectors are environmental leaders and others are followers and then laggards, but based on sector alone. And I'm sure we could have come up with a better framework moving forward, but that was a good starting point because it meant that sectors like education and health that are regarded as kind of the leaders were included as well as laggards who might be regarded as sort of transport or quarrying or, you know, brown sector kind of industries. So we found that all the people we spoke to like to move themselves up towards the top left-hand quadrant, which is more of the leaders than the laggards. And I think that shows some positivity and found that really kind of heartening that even if you perhaps as a sector, were somewhere further away from that idealistic leading the green transition that you as a as an individual and as a business felt that you were making a contribution or could make a contribution to that. This conflation between yeah. green skills and green jobs is also conflated between green sector and brown sector. If we don't get those that are regarded as non-green sector industries engaged in in the transition and moving forward, then we can't just do it by pulling the front end along. And finally, Michael, it's coming up towards the end of the month, so you're pulling together your reports roundup. I know you've been looking at a lot of stuff this month. What's caught your eye? Well, we have a bumper crop. We'll probably split it into two posts. But one which caught our eye was a piece of work called Heritage and Carbon. And this is all about retrofitting in older buildings. And it's a piece of work that was pulled together by the Crown Estate, the Peabody Estate, the National Trust, the Grosvenor Estate and Historic England. A really great group of people who own a lot of buildings that are not the newest in the world and create lots of complications for retrofitting and they were laying out in their document the skills required to actually allow that to happen but their their actual recommendations of which there were five really focus on the need for them to engage with their communities to create the skills pipeline also intervene and ensure that there's recognition of these skills both at local level and also in a national retrofit strategy but there's also an interesting piece around the better use of the apprenticeship levy, of which to date, over three billion has not been spent. And so that bounces straight back to the treasury and it doesn't get used for skills. And the simple ask from this report is, can we use that elsewhere to maintain the skills and apprenticeship development programs and also for upskilling? People are allowed to do an element of this, but they're asking for greater clarity and greater flexibility. And this has been a common call And there was hope to this would be featured in the budget. Sadly, it wasn't featured in the budget. But the the call for the change still goes on. And whilst we're talking about reports, this is slightly different than a report. The UK Green Business Awards, uh, the shortlist came out uh, this week. And the awards will be made at the end of June at a large event. But it's really interesting to read through the over 200 organisations, individuals and companies who have been listed against the 25 awards being made. 
what I see this is, is, is a sort of a crude measure of activity in the green economy. And it shows that there are lots of companies, most of which most of us will not have heard of, are doing some great things. Quite a few of them, we have featured ourselves, though, in our posts and podcasts over the last 18 months. So that's quite heartening. We've chosen a few people who are pioneering. And that's very positive. We might even get an invite to the rewards dinner. That would be quite nice. We'd have to dress up for that. Well, that'll make a change. We normally just work in our (laughs) T-shirts. Exactly. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.